Welcome to Circles of Gold. This is Danielle, and I am so glad that you're here. I really hope you enjoy this next story. This week's episode is with my guest, Bethany. She shares her story about sexual abuse, trauma, and her healing process. I wanted to give my listeners a heads up just in case it's a trigger for them. So you can either skip this episode altogether and join us next week or proceed with caution. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, today my guest is Bethany and she's here to share her story. I met Bethany through a mutual friend from high school and she actually um, is married to someone that I went to high school with. So we kind of know each other and I'm excited for her to share her story. So Bethany, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you for having me. So my name is Bethany. I live in Texas, but I did not grow up here. I grew up in New Mexico, so I'm a New Mexico native. I'm a stay-at-home mom. We have five children, all ranging from 11 years old to a one and a half year old. So my life is pretty much filled with PTO meetings and school functions and homework and being a wife and all of that fun stuff that it entails. <laughs> yeah, I know that life for sure. Yes, it's a fun life. It's crazy, but it's fun. Where does your story begin? Well, to start where my story begins with what we're talking about, um, it would start when I was 10 years old. Um, the summer before going into fifth grade, I was sexually abused two times by a woman. And so that was kind of where this all started for me. It was someone who my family knew. She was our house cleaner. She cleaned our home from the age of me being two to probably just right after turning 11. She went to church with us. My family knew her, like I said. And so that's kind of where all of my my stuff kind of starts and where it all, you know, happened and how all of it kind of came about. There were a couple of friends that I did tell about my abuse probably a couple years later. And to be honest, I have no idea how those all kind of came about. Like one was at a slumber party. You know, I never really told anyone the details of my abuse, but I did always, you know, tell them like that it was a female. I guess it was my way of seeing like, are, am I still going to be accepted? Yeah. Like, is this going to change anything? And really what was pretty shocking is out of the friends I told, I want to say all of them except for one had been sexually abused as well and confided in me with their stories. Wow. That's, and it, that's big. Right. Like that's a pretty scary statistic of like out of that many friends, all of them, but one. Yeah, exactly. And so growing up like in New Mexico at the time I did, we didn't have people coming like our school and our counselors. No one was really talking to us about sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. There was no type of like what's an appropriate touch, what's not an appropriate touch, what are boundaries, what are parts, like what do you do if someone makes you feel uncomfortable, who do you tell, you know, all of that, that we, you know now have you know we didn't have that growing up so this happening to me was there there's really no information that I had available to me and so it was like I locked it up and I threw it in the back and I just wanted to 
act and feel like a normal teenager, but mm-hmm. I always felt like everybody could tell there was something different about me. Yeah. So it was almost like just kind of feeling like I had to play a part. Like, what does a normal teenager do? I'm going to be that because I want to be normal. Like, I felt mm-hmm. like that abuse had, like, defined who I was, dirty, damaged, just all of those kind of emotions and feelings like wrapped into it and a lot of just confusion. And so I really locked that up. I would always have, you know, my flashbacks. I was able to almost like, like you're swiping right and you just like swipe it out and you continue to function. Mm -hmm. And there are triggers that I do have. And those would bring up kind of like, oh, like the gut, you know, just gross, dirty feeling, but it wasn't an overwhelming feeling. So I was able to, I was able to still, you know, function without breaking down emotionally and crying and whatnot. And so we had our first child at 19. So I was a pretty young mother. Me and my husband had her. We started our family. He finished college. We moved, you know, to the town that we're in in Texas and continued having babies and here's number two, here's number three. And it was when we had our third child, which is our son, I was invited by our older child's teacher to come to a Bible study. And so for me, I was excited because I thought, oh, this is my first real grown up thing to do. Going <laughs> to a Bible study, like I was still in my early 20s. And so I was excited to go to my first, you know, women's study. Yeah. And, um, and I went to that and, um, we did, I think, the Circle Maker in the fall of that year, and this was about 2014. And then in that spring, we did a Beth Moore Breaking Free. Mm, that's a really good one. I know, and I had no idea, like, what I was in for. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, we, so we started that, and coincidentally, one of my friends that I had confided in had just recently moved back to New Mexico. So the part of New Mexico and Texas that we're in is very relatively close. Mm-hmm. And I invited her to come do the Bible study with me on Wednesdays. Cause what are you going to do in small town USA? You know, like, yeah. So she would come over every Wednesday and we were doing the study together. We had finished one night and it just was hitting me. Uh, I did this study. I had never said this woman's name to anyone I had never told them details about my views. I had never even said these things out loud. And mm. in this Bible study was the first time I wrote down like her name. I guess that was kind of like my breaking point that night. And I kind of told her, you know, like, do you remember? She said, yes. I said, I'm going to tell, you know, my husband. And so we got to the house and we all sat down. And I mean, really, I don't think there's ever... <laughs> I don't think there's ever going to be a good, like a good time, the right time, yeah, the perfect time. This is just, like a big yeah. thing that you don't, uh, you can't really prepare for it. You just right have to like, yeah, the person receiving the information is not going to ever be prepared for it. And you're not prepared to just like let it all out. It just. Right. And yeah. So, so that night I told my husband, not in details, you know, anything like that of, you know, of what she had you know, done, but just of the abuse happening, acknowledging that it happened Mm -hmm. and who it was and just how I felt so damaged and broken from it. And 
I think his reaction to it was so good because he didn't try to ask me a bunch of questions because if he had been, I don't think I would have been ready for them. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of listened to me and he, without even knowing any type of stuff about this and like how to handle it, what to say, he hugged me and had said that he was so sorry that it happened and that he left me. For me, I felt like that was such a weight lifted off. You know, like this whole Bible study was about breaking free of what's keeping you in bondage. And this little secret that I had been keeping, you know, all these years that I felt like was my secret to keep isn't really my secret to keep. That's her secret that she needs me to keep. Mm -hmm. And so breaking free of that, that control that I felt like she had over me was so freeing Uh, that summer. I was with my mom and telling her about how great this Bible study was. Like the next one that comes up, she should come drive down and do it with me. And I kind of told her about it. You know, she asked me a question about it and I just broke down crying. And she looked at me and she, you know, said like, what is it? And I just said like that I had been abused and immediately I think she goes into her teacher mode of like what she's been trained on to kind of know about what little, you know, training teachers get on this stuff. You know, so she starts asking me who it is. And I just could not tell her. I just felt so ashamed because I'm older now. I have children. All I can think about is how I don't want to hurt my parents. You know, I feel like they think, yay, we finally got her out of those teenage years. Oh, those like young mom years. And like now we have these sweet grandkids and everything's going good. And like we're successful parents. Because I never wanted them to feel like like if they had done something wrong or if it was their yeah. fault. They had no idea. If they would have known, I mean, obviously, she wouldn't have even been around us. Me not wanting to tell her, I guess, was kind of my way of feeling like I wanted to protect my parents from hurting. Yeah, from that pain but, of feeling guilty and really right. they had no idea. Yeah. Right. But still knowing that I needed for my own self to like break free of that. And I told her, you know, who it was and... She just kind of looked at me and the words out of her mouth, you know, were, I would have never guessed in a million years that it would have been her and that she, you know, was so sorry and just cried and hugged and that was that. But I mean, when I feel like when people do disclose, most of the time it is someone that the family knows, you know, most you know, children know who their yeah. abuser is, and it's usually a family friend, a family member. Um, someone who has access to the kid repeatedly. Exactly. And someone that has who a trust. Has, right. Someone who has not only groomed this child to stay silent, but has, like, groomed, like, the community, their churches, their schools, their friends, families, mm-hmm. to all see this facade of, I'm a trustworthy person. I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. That's not the case. And so... My parents knew, my husband knew, and this was in 2014, and I kind of felt like that was it. <laughs> like, yeah. yay, I broke free of this bondage, like, I'm good now, like, I'm fine, like, it's all in the past. Lock it up. Hey ladies, thank you so much for listening today. I wanted to take a quick break to extend an invitation to all the listeners. If you have a story that you really want to share with Circles of Gold, please contact me. I would love to get your story out there. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook. And if you know me personally, just shoot me a text or call me. We'll get that set up. Enjoy the rest of the show. 
you're in this um, process of, you know, telling your story and all of these things and sharing it. So what made you come forward with this? I started feeling like more and more just nervous, anxious, and scared. And I could not figure out what was going on. I kept telling, and I was having more reoccurring flashbacks and like starting to feel more uncomfortable. And I couldn't put two and two together because even though I had told my parents and my husband, I had never, ever, ever looked into any type of thing, Google, books, anything that had to deal with child sexual abuse. If I would have, I would have known that if you have a child and they're approaching the age that you were when you were abused, it can really start to bring stuff up. So I was like a deer in headlights. I had no idea what was going on. I started feeling like I was losing my mind. I didn't want to tell anybody around me because I was scared that they would think I was like going crazy. So I started thinking... Like, I did this. Like, I've dealt with this. Like, I told my parents. I told Edgar. Like, there's nothing I can do. You know, this happened, you know, so long ago. And, like, I'm fine, but I'm not. So I started Googling, like, how to cope, like, with, like, past child sexual abuse because I thought, I just got to cope with this. I have to figure out what's wrong. And I stumbled upon, like, a family life radio, talk radio, um, a little write-up about abuse. And it had, like, some suggested reading links and I clicked on one of the books which was called Hush and it had a broken crayon on the front and when I clicked on it it took me to Google Docs which I had never heard of either and you could read the first you know so many pages you know without buying the book so I started reading the book and it's by Nicole Braddock Bromley and that book was such a godsend because I think if it would have been any other book, it would have been way too overwhelming. Like her, the way Nicole wrote her book, you feel like someone is sitting there next to you. They're talking to you and they get you. And you feel mm-hmm. like you're on anytime you come in contact with someone who has trauma that's similar, that's similar to yours. Someone would be like a sexual abuse. When someone's talking to you about it and you're listening to them, it's almost like you're on sacred ground. Like you're connected yes. with them because you have this connection. You understand one another. And because you're silent for so long, you feel like you're so alone. Nobody understands this. You're the only one. And you're not. Like, especially with the statistics, the way they are, you know, show, yeah. like you're not alone. I started reading her book and... You know, she really, and she talks about the way, you know, your body is, the way your body is made. Like, if someone's going to pinch you, it's going to hurt, you know, regardless. If they tickle you, you're going to laugh. If someone touches you, caresses you in any part of your body that God made to be aroused and enjoyed by your spouse someday, you're going to have that. But that doesn't mean that the person who touched you, the time that they touched you at was ever okay. So your body didn't, you know, I always felt like what was wrong with me because there were some parts, you know, that like were arousing that you still didn't want and you just could not, I could not wrap my head around like what was my body doing? Like I felt like my body betrayed me in some way. And that, you know, that really made me question, you know, my sexuality as a 10 year old, you know, like, I had no idea like what any of that had meant. And so 
she really talks about that in the book. And that was the first time I was ever hearing that. And it was like a light bulb, like had gone off in my head. And I was like, my body, like didn't betray me. Like that's the way God created my body, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it, that was kind of, that kind of reminds me of like when we did our foster care training, the woman was talking about the sexual abuse part. And she said, you know, sexual abuse for a kid is like turning on a light switch before it's meant to be turned on and you can't just turn it off. And so you can kind of go through your whole like childhood and young adult life of like that light switch being on and it being triggered easily because it's on and you don't know how to understand that it's just your body naturally doing what it's supposed to do just too early. Exactly. And I yes. was like, oh, that makes so much sense. It does. And it makes so much sense when you know about it. Mm-hmm. So for all these years, about 20 years, I'm going on feeling like I'm, you know, so gross and dirty that what was wrong with me, if there's something wrong with me, and all of a sudden it just making sense and feeling yeah. like, hey, like this really for sure is not my fault. Nicole goes on, like she has all these chapters. They are amazing that book, like I said, it changed my life. There was a part in there where she talks about reporting. And, you know, she does say it's not for everybody. But if you do, you know, I think it holds your abuser accountable, validates what happened to you. I had just finished reading Nicole's book. And the Larry Nassar gymnastics um, stuff was kind of going on. And I was sitting there watching, you know, Good Morning America like I usually do and, you know, the highlights of the stories that were going on. And there were some clips of the women when they were making their impact um, statements. And there was the how much is the little girl worth? And another one where she said, you know, perhaps little girls don't stay little forever. They grow into strong women that return to destroy your world. And I think that was such a huge turning point for me because here I am you know watching these women who you know have gone through these horrible things that no woman man boy child you know girl should ever go through and they're standing up there being so powerful and just really feeling like that connection with them and realizing you know that I no longer am a child when it comes to my abuse like I'm now an adult And so, you know, always looking at my abuse and thinking of my abuser, I immediately feel like I'm a child again, and I don't have this power. And, you know, that was the first time I think I was also realizing that I'm an adult, and I can make an adult decision about this. And, you know, my abuser cannot hurt me because I'm I'm not a child. I'm a, you know, a woman now who is here. Yeah. That's awesome. I like that um, those like statements from other women that were older um, really impacted you in coming forward and kind of taking control of the situation in a powerful way. Yes. That's really good. I think along with Nicole's book and all of that kind of going on at the same time. And then, yeah, so along with that and my daughter, you know, approaching the age that I was, was really kind of this big turning point of all these things kind of coming together and realizing, you know, that I had a chance to do the right, like do not only do the right thing for myself and my situation, because I understand, you know, not everybody's going to feel the same way as I do, but for my situation and myself, 
being able to take that control of, you know, telling someone and something. So I think having the chance to gain that uh, control back and take it back and being able to hold somebody accountable for what they did um, was really important to me. And that's kind of how that whole part of it came about. That's good. That's really good. Moving forward, where do you stand now? The awareness that you're bringing to the community and those kind of things. What are you doing? After reading Nicole's book, I, you know, immediately emailed her thanking her. Just, you know, told her, like, I would love it if you could come and speak, you know, to the community that I'm living in. But not only that, the community that I grew up in. Because, you know, growing up, we didn't have these discussions at school about sexual abuse or anything regarding these issues. And I really felt like education is so important because if we're not educated on it, then we're not going to know what to do when it happens or if it had already, if it has already happened, what to do with that information going forward with somebody. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to her. I spoke to our church that we go to here and some of the local pastors from other churches and pastors in the city where we also had Nicole speak. So we kind of called it like the New Mexico slash Texas tour. I spoke to the schools. I spoke to the school counselors. It was a lot of meetings of me crying and feeling (laughs) like I was not prepared. I felt so unequipped to bring somebody in. Like I have never done anything like this. This was completely out of my comfort zone, especially with the whole fact that I was just now dealing with the whole emotional aspect of my abuse and the impact that it has Mm -hmm. made in my life, as well as going through the criminal justice system and now, you know, advocating. So these were all going on at the same time. And it was pretty overwhelming. But that's just where we kind of were at the time. So I met with the school counselors at the three different schools that Nicole spoke to. I met with superintendents and all that sort of stuff. I had a lot of support, which was good. Because going into those meetings, I was pretty shaky, just real nervous that they would tell me, you know, no. I felt like here in Texas, I might have had going to have a better shot at it. But I was pretty nervous with the New Mexico schools just because I know that the area that we grew that I grew up in, not only did they not talk about this stuff when I was growing up there, but they still haven't been talking about it. So mm-hmm. I knew this would be, you know, two different school districts where this is not being talked about. And, you know, school districts just being wary of, is this our responsibility? Is this the parents' responsibility? If we do this, how do we yeah. go about doing it since it hadn't been done before? We were able to get one of the schools in New Mexico, the ninth graders, and there were about 700 ninth graders that Nicole spoke to. Wow. And then in the school that I grew up in, she spoke to middle school through high schoolers, and there was about 1,400 total students in those two assemblies for that, that school. Going into this, I had already said, you know, I know how I felt after reading Nicole's book. I was like, all going ho. I felt like if I hadn't told anybody yet, I definitely would have been telling somebody then. I had told someone, so then I definitely wanted to do something about it. Although I did have a lot of support, I did, you know, ask, can we have school counselors there? Because to me, I felt this is the first time kids are going to be hearing this. There's going to be a flood of them, especially with the way the statistics read, you know, one in three and one in six. 
there were some that agreed with me and then there were some that would say, you know, Bethany, I don't think it's going to be this huge flood of kids coming forward. You know, you might have like one or two a couple days later, but I just don't, I just don't see this huge reaction that way, you know, had all of that going into it. So the first school we spoke to were the freshman school, which were 700 students. And after the assembly, Nicole kind of goes out she has like a table of her resources. Like if kids want to come by and say hi, they can and all that. And I could not believe the amount of students after that first assembly wow. that just gathered around Nicole. And I mean, you have kids that maybe bought her book and then left and didn't say anything. There were kids there who were lined up and just crying and saying, you know, Thank you, Nicole, for speaking. Thank me, too. Just getting, like, those reassuring mm. hugs. And then there were people that were saying, hey, I want to talk to Nicole. And then all of a sudden, a line is forming of just students that just want to talk to her wow. and want to say whatever they needed to say to her. And I was really shocked by how many male students were there standing and were not ashamed to let their peers see them standing there and because you know there's just so much stigma on mm -hmm. males and we ended up staying at that freshman school I think two hours after the assembly oh, wow. um, just with the students that Nicole talked to and then the next day we talked to the school that I grew up in and we started with the middle school first and so this was the first time starting with kids you know who are as young as seventh and eighth grade we were kind of nervous about that. Well, I was nervous about that. Just I kind of knew how the older kids were going to react. And this was kind of, you know, because this is the middle school age. This is a time where you got all those hormonal things going. They're still changing and nothing's really, you know, mm -hmm. sensed down. They're still trying to figure themselves out. She spoke to the middle schoolers first. And afterwards, they were coming out. You could tell some of them wanted to stop, but it wasn't going to happen until one person did. And sure enough, one person did. And then there was a huge line again. Mm. And I do remember from that one, there was this one boy who talked to Nicole. And I was just standing there, you know, just trying to help, you know, with anything Nicole needed. Just listening to this kid talk to Nicole and thanking her and letting her know that he relates and stuff. Short combo that they had together my heart just broke. I don't think I've ever felt pain like that before. I just wanted to like jump over that table and like chase him down and mm. tackle him and hold him and just tell him that like everything was going to be okay and just wanting to protect him. And I think it was just really hard seeing a child and looking into their eyes and seeing that pain that's in their eyes and being able to know exactly where that pain probably came from. And that was a hard day. I remember coming home and being completely drained from that day and just kind of crying while I took a bath and just the overwhelming feeling of not, I guess not realizing, like I was so excited for Nicole to speak to these students. And I didn't realize, I think that I was going to be staring at these students and then, you know, disclosing, you know, whatever they disclosed to her. And I don't think I realized the impact of seeing that and being there was so much more powerful than just 
saying it happened. It was a completely different experience just being there. And then later on that afternoon, she spoke to the high school students. You know, again, there were, you know, multiple people just coming up to her, thanking her. There were a couple of girls that, you know, I think they had already reported and were in the criminal justice system going through with their own cases. And I think that really made me realize, oh, my gosh, I can't imagine being a high school student and going through the criminal justice system because I'm an adult and doing it. And it's so hard and it's so draining. And I can't imagine doing it while still having to worry about homework and all the other stuff that goes on in high school and junior high and whatnot. But I have so much admiration for any young person who goes through this and is able to deal with it and go through what they're going through at such a young age. And I, you know, I just don't think I, I don't know if I could have been as strong as I am as an adult if I were younger. Yeah, that's, that's got to be a lot. So, man, that's really cool that with each group that she talked to, Mm -hmm. And then they were impacted, you know, like they, sadly, they've had these situations, but it, I think the best thing about that was that they now finally felt like there's a voice for people like me. There's someone else who's been through this. I'm not alone. Exactly. And that's just, that's amazing that that's what the community needs is other people that have gone through these things to speak up and say, you're not alone. How can we help? And so that's really awesome. Yes. And then the next day, you know, she spoke here in Texas. And I know at least the school district that we're in over here, the kids are getting these kind of talks yearly with their school counselors. So Nicole, you know, was just a speaker coming in, speaking about it. And there were a lot of kids just thanking her, you know, for speaking. Very few that did come up and disclose with Nicole. The ones that did, I think, were already kind of on the school's radar and they knew, you know, who these students were. And I think the school counselors were already aware of them. And the school counselor at the junior high and the high school and, of course, the elementary school here are amazing. And they really are honed in and keyed on, you know, students emotional well-being and needs and really do just let them you know know that they're a safe person there's no judgment they can say whatever they want and that they are completely safe and validated in their feelings and so I do feel really fortunate with the town that I'm raising my children in and feeling very safe with my kids in the hands that they're in during the school hours knowing who those counselors are and just having so much admiration for them and knowing just how safe they are with the students and with my kids. That's yeah, that's a big deal when you have your kids in a school district where not really looked after as well because there's so many or it's a lower economic status school versus a really good district that does a lot of proactive care for their kids, mental and physical Mm -hmm. being. So that's really cool. With the proactiveness that you're doing in your community, what are some resources that you have maybe for other listeners going through this that might be listening and are kind of interested in 
maybe moving forward into the legal system with their case um, right. or situation? Like what's, what's some of the things that you've found to help you? Um, well, obviously Nicole's book titled Hush, Healing from Childhood Sexual Abuse is obviously amazing. I have a friend who she sells unique makeup and she kind of shared with me what the unique foundation has. And on that website, there were some really good and useful tips on if you're a partner and your partner's going through this and like tips for them or a parent. And there was also stuff, you know, geared towards a survivor. And that was pretty useful for me. I know I shared that with my husband, but also um, she shared with me Defend Innocence. And I really loved that site. There's like a Facebook. It has such good resources on how to talk to your child about it, regardless of their age. It has like every age stage that you can talk to your child, as well as talking about sleepovers, sports, just really anything in general having to do with abuse. It's such a good resource. And also, of course, RAIN. RAIN has great resources for um, victims as well as those who not parents or their support system and they even have stuff that goes into Spanish those were some good resources that kind of helped start me off on all of this and of course you know just googling around you know it can give you a ton of great resources yeah rain is really good especially for the legal system I feel like because it That's just awesome. kind of it, it can give you your state it will, you can click on your state and it will give you all the resources that you need when it comes to statutes of limitations and all of that stuff as well. Wow. That's, that's really cool. Um, well, thank you for sharing that and your resources. I think that's a good step in the direction to help people that might be lost or looking for something. So thank you. No, you're welcome. I like to ask all of my guests one thing before we end the show and that is what brings you joy like anything that brings you joy what is it obviously my kids when they're asleep <laughs> they look <laughs> so peaceful and they're Amen. so quiet and I'm like oh they're like little angels I just want to kiss their cheeks and that brings me lots of joy and the sunshine being outside lately and like feeling the sun on my face has really just brought out being outside I think in nature lately and feeling really grounded that way has really been bringing me a lot of joy that's awesome mm -hmm. I love and that and thank you so much for inviting me to do this podcast and letting me know that you know you're doing it. I think it's such a great, great thing that you're doing and I listened to the others and I was just like oh, so good <laughs> thank you yeah i I really was nervous. This is kind of um, like a healing thing for me. Right. And it's just been really good hearing other people's struggles and like victories and how they did things and how they went through things. It's just been really good for me. And I think for a lot of other people that listen to maybe find a little bit of something that they can use to help them get through something or just have a connection to another person. Like you said, when you bring it to the light and when you have a voice, it helps other people. Yes. And hearing someone yeah. talk about it, it's almost like, Oh, that's like exactly how I'm feeling. And now it's been put to words. And I'm like, yeah. Oh yes, that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. And 
mean, obviously I'm still, I guess, I guess if you would say like if someone's on their healing journey, I feel like I'm still a tadpole, like <laughs> infant stage. <laughs> But I feel like this could show anyone, like, it doesn't matter how much you know about something, how scared you are, if you feel so underqualified, if you feel like maybe I'm not ready yet, like, just do it. Don't, like, do it even if you're scared, do it when you're in pain, do it when you're, you know, crying, do it when you feel weak, do it when you feel strong, just do it with what you have and do it where you are because there's so much that can be done with just little voices and mm -hmm. little, you know, people here and there that just kind of all accumulates into like changing the way our society stereotypes and kind of sees broken people and just really starting to love people the way the like Jesus intended us to love one another and be in communion with each other and yeah. to share in each other's struggles and to laugh and celebrate in each other's victories. I feel like, you know, just creating that safe space of community that's trauma-informed is such a great first step to healing those future generations that are coming up and also ours while we're all dealing with our all of our own, you know, past traumas and struggles and current ones and future ones. I agreed. I definitely agree with that. Well, thank you, Bethany, for coming on the show and sharing your story and being brave. I hope that other people hear your story and think, you know, maybe I should share my story and see what happens and see how I feel and see if it's something that will help me heal in the process. So thank you right. so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed this story as much as I did. Please leave a review and subscribe to our podcast.